This is an adult podcast made by adults for adults. We tried something new today and have an excellent, passionate retelling of every single little detail of Point Break. And we figure out why Japanese babies warm our hearts. Welcome to Fake Film Fans. Fake film fans, I want to thank everyone for listening. I'm Suede Best, and I am the first errand. Walter, and I am the lips that haven't quite chapped, but you know they're about to dry. Uh, I'm Lee, I'm the six shooter of an old nasty cowboy who's emptying it into the dust at some rapscallion's feet saying, <laughs> you better dance, you better dance, you better dance. I'm dancing right now. We're dancing, we're dancing in our heart, we're dancing the night away. We're dancing the night away. This is my uh, good friend Lee, who I've known probably since they were, god, what, a sophomore in high school? Yeah, I think you existed peripherally as an older brother to my Yeah, I was, yeah, Lee, Lee, Lee started out as a good friend of my little brother's. And one time I was carrying, or I was helping Donut! lift a air conditioner into the window at like, up at neck height while Suede was, um in the window intercepting it and it was heavy and they're sharp bits and i forgot i was smoking a cigarette and the cherry fell on my arm and i was like i can't drop the uh air conditioner and so there's just a cherry on my arm for like six seconds and i was just like fire fire i'm on fire (laughs) hey y'all there's fire on me what do i do about this and i have a little a little third degree burn pit on my arm. So Lee, Lee actually, it's bullshit because Lee's actually my my child. Like Lee and I will do this thing where where they'll say something and I'll be like, I was gonna say that, or vice versa. And sometimes we'll even say it at the same time. And it's because they 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 are me. They are shadow suede. One, you are shadow Lee because <laughs> you are aging backwards. The moment you pass below my age. That's true. I'm your dad now. That's true. I am a Benjamin Buttonman boy of myself. Aging backwards into an adult baby. Oh, oh, mommy. I'm an adult baby now. I don't know why I prompted that. I don't know why <laughs> I opened that door for you. Yeah, because you hate when I say things like, oh, mommy. Oh, mommy. <laughs> oh, man. Guys, let's talk about posters. You guys like posters, right? I love posters. Actually, actually, I don't. Let me actually make this Oh, I contention. I like posters. I think posters are cool, but I, I think... The problem with posters is that they're not exactly what you want, right? So I thought we'd sort of uh, sort of enter into the imagisphere, sort of the imagination zone, and talk about what a cool poster would be. We're going to start off easy. What kind of poster would you want, perfect platonic form of poster, for your first room when you're living by yourself? Ooh. Wherever my eyes go when I first wake up, I need to make contact with a comforting presence who reminds me that I'm not alone. And if I'm being watched, it's like by Gene Wilder at the peak of his sexual phase as the, <laughs> one of the sexiest men, uh, most sensual men of the 20th century. Okay. So it would be a Gene Wilder poster. What is he doing? Is he like holding a kitten or like thrusting? The, the thing in Willy Wonka, he acts with his face so expressively, but I don't know. He doesn't do this in other roles. His eyes are dead. So I want to wake up to a picture of Willy Wonka, Junji Ito style illustration with no background, staring me down. And on it is written, let's rip it and rip it, boys. Another day. 
I think you could put grip it and rip it on any poster. Or People hate me in online games because that's how I like to start a match. <laughs> that's how I like to put my tagline. I have that on hot bar. No one <laughs> loves me like they should. It's like you're not, you're not worried about your macro buttons to like do the super cool move. It's just like grip it. No, rip it. I have priorities. Um, Walter, what about you? What what would you put in your bedroom? Uh, I live alone and I have no posters. Yeah, but you need to imagine. Come on, join us in the play space. Play with me. Come on, join us. Imagine an image. Imagine an image in a in a world of pure imagination. Come with me. Use your brain, and it's real. And we'll be in poster imagination. You could have a Augustus Gloop getting sucked up that big tube to his death. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> that gives me anxiety. As a chubby kid, that gives me anxiety. That whole movie is like litmus test for one of these is going to fuck you up as a seven-year-old. Which one? And it was as a chubby kid, Augustus Gloop was like, I was like, oh no. He got one of those kids just for watching TV. He was like, yeah. fuck you. You watch TV. It's time for a little song as you're punished by God. Okay, well, tell me a poster or I'm going to get mad. Whatever poster's for free. Just give me a poster. I'll stick it up. No, no, no. Name an Walter, image. You need to play in the space. We have a space. I need you oh, to play in it. I know. A gigantic blanket of green screen. Okay. Oh. Okay. Oh, so that's what do you, good. Yeah, what do you do with this? I mean, it's not quite a poster, but I'm into it. What do you do with this green screen poster? What, what, you guys do things with posters? Well, like, you guys just stick them on the wall? Green screen is active. Do you want to just imagine there's a green screen in your life? Do you want to wear an Andy Circus mocap suit while you sleep to imagine that you're a little creature? Because right now all you said is, I want a big green square for a poster. Okay, <laughs> all you guys said is, I want a piece of paper on a wall. I don't see how that's different. That honestly makes so no sense to me either. So imagine there's a blank piece of paper and imagine one of them has an image on and another piece of paper with an image on it. Are they the same? You may ask yourself. Uh, my attention to them is probably going to be the you're same. You're destroying my bit. I was so excited for this bit no, and you're destroying no, no. it. No, no, no. I thought this bit, bit was we were all going to work on the perfect poster together, which I could have helped with. I already have the perfect poster. There are a few posters that I've had in my life. The waifu wall. And the posters that I got from the movie theater. Both of them were initially done ironically. Because I thought people were stupid that they cared about posters. So I went to the fucking photocopy machine and printed 50 fucking waifus to fucking put on my wall. Because I thought it w I would be making fun of all these idiot American That sounds like a song. Students. A little poem for children for counting. It's 50 waifus on the wall. <laughs> 49 in the hall and it teaches you about locations that exist and numbers 1 through 50. 50 waifus on the wall. 49 if you will fall. Yeah, something creepy. Something weird for children. 48. Well, that's great. 47. Now you're in heaven. 46. 46. That's a you're fine the mix. 45. <laughs> Welcome to my Your mom's life. alive. No, no, no. All right. So let me let me let me get into the space a little bit. If I like first moved out into my own place and I wanted a poster, I'm with Lee. I would want a poster that gives me some kind of energy, some kind of like power. So I think I would want it to be Hajime. Uh, it would be Ippo from Hajime no Ippo getting ready to like box and he's like getting ready to go down, but he's not going to go down except behind him is like a giant cat. Who's just got his like arms crossed and is like looking over and he's got like a big tough body, but a little cutie boy kitty cat face. And I would look at that and I would be like, that's right. I can do the day. I can power through it now because 
Epo can do it, and I have a giant kitty cat man looking after me for power. With the caption, today I will not cry while taking a shit on the clock at work. I will not fold into like a little sandwich on the toilet. Okay, well, all right, let's go to the bathroom. Okay. Also, I have the best poster of all time that's existed that I got printed at CVS for $8 and made myself. But point being, the bathroom, the utility is no matter who you are or where you are, there are going to be times when you are going to be on the toilet for a long time and it's going to be bad. Yes, that's very true. You might want some calming decorations. You need something to bring you through that. My two things I've thought about are distraction slash activity occupying the mind and motivation and comfort. So the first one, I was thinking like maybe a little maze or something you follow with your eyes. I think a Where's Waldo would be too much. I was then I was thinking if we can include a bathroom tapestry, I guess it would have to be laminated or something to stop the the humidity of the bathroom from getting Yeah, you it. don't want something you don't want something fabricy. But like one of those like big like storytelling ones where it's multiple lines and it's like there is a saga upon the tapestry. It's huge and many events happen. The encouragement one is to remind you that you're strong and beautiful and you can get through this. I don't know, it's a poster of Brew from Despicable Me pointing at you that says like, nice cock and balls, you're strong, you'll never die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into this, I'm into I'm into Gru. I would prefer a minion myself. I yeah, think you I, would. Qu- quick Pervert. aside, quick aside, my mom's dad's friends from South Louisiana stopped by. The reason I mentioned this couple is because they stopped by and my dad collects tin toys and they were looking at all the tin toys and then their eyes pan down to just the two like rubbery plastic minions I'd purchased at the Goodwill. And we're like, oh, these are cool, Billy. And my dad just like shakes his head and is like, they're not mine. Those are sweet. They're bad, actually. <laughs> okay. So, well, digressions aside, do you kind of get like the game we're playing now a little bit? Do you think you can play in the space now? Do you think you can be a part of this team or are you going to be a pain in the ass again? I have never dealt with posters in my entire life. You can't expect me to be able to. Okay. If I tried my best to understand the rules, I would get a porn star eating scat because that would make shit look sexy and that would make poop faster. I don't know if we should have let him into the space, actually. I asked you to join the space and you brought in your own special flavor. Do I think that is uh, maybe criminal uh, to put in your bathroom where other people can use? Maybe, but... Not the bathroom. That's the sanctum for guests and homeowner alike. (laughs) We could expand to any wall decoration. I don't have a wall decoration for anything. I kind of just like the blankness of it. So what do you do while you poop, Walt? What do you do while you're pooping? Look at my phone, maybe read, maybe even masturbate. The last thing I'm doing is staring at a wall. Are you trying to take high ground when you're talking about how you read a book and jack off on the toilet? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there's like one that's higher or lower. Is it impossible that there are people who are just not poster people? So imagine- It's about imagining- Anna Karina! Anna Karina on everything! Anna Karina on everything! You are so bad Stick Anna Karina on- Now you sound like a serial killer, but- Create an image that isn't real? That, my friend, is called imagination. I don't know if I necessarily want to hear after the porn star scat poster the kind of answer from the vague prompt <laughs> of anything you want. I'll defend Walt a little bit on the scat eating poster. My main issue with oh, it, by it. the way, that there are other people going to use the bathroom and they might not be ready for that energy. But I mean, it is bathroom related. So I get it. Personally, I would want uh, a giant poster with like 400 bespoke 
Garfield comic strips, like made by Jim Davis. Oh, comic strips on the walls are good. I know a bathroom plaster with comic strips. Sometimes, and that- sometimes I'm in the bathroom and I'm on my phone or I'm reading, but sometimes I forget both of those things, and I, it's like a long process. And you're like, I wish, I wish I had something to read, and you have to like reach down and like grab the bottle of shampoo to like read the ingredients. And if I had a big poster with, like, a bunch of different Garfield comics, I could just look at those comics while I'm pooping. It'd be great. I just want to one time circle back, because I get one, to the scat poster. The ta- You take the worst, most graphic part, and you tape a little flap of paper that you can flip up, and then it's their choice. And it's like that one Susan Sontag essay about this human drive to see suffering in these images, like like car crashes and gore and stuff, where she's like, there's this drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sit there and you stare down the poster and on the flap, it says exactly what it is. And you have to resist that temptation. Or when you look on your own head, be it. And now it's an endurance challenge. And I love that. I love to make an endurance challenge in my life. All right, we'll do one more. We'll do one more. So your child has just transitioned from sleeping in a crib in in the room with you to having their own bedroom. Can they read? They're they're reading picture books. Okay. Um, like if you plop like a, a Horton Hears a Who in front of the kid, they'll like spend a couple hours on it. And Walter, if you say a porn star eating scat, you are ejected from the podcast. I am making that executive decision. Because this, this should be easier for you because this is not a poster for you. This is a poster exactly. for your child. So I'm going to time it. I'm going to time every single thing they do in life and whatever they're holding the longest goes up on the poster. Okay, this is good. This is good. I like this. I like this. Lee, what would you what would you what would you give your your darling baby boy? So, I have two sons. No, they can't be in a bunk bed cuz they both need to see the poster. So it's twin beds. Their names are Gene Wilder, statuesque, first name, middle name, and Chrysalis Iridescence. There's a poster that's big enough that it encompasses the space that both beds and the space between them. Like if it fell, it would perfectly cover the whole area. (laughs) And it's a drawing of Gene Wilder, Junji Ito style with his dead, dead eyes pointing straight forward. And it just says, rise and live another day, my sons. (laughs) And they will grow strong. I, of course, would have one beautiful son who I named Walter Jr., so his name is Walter Swade Jr. And he will, of course, be adopted from China. And I will want him to be you, Walter. I will want him to be you in all facets. So the poster would be the entire ceiling. And it would just be images of you, Walter. Collage. Yeah, except at the center would be a mirror. Only it would be warped slightly. Then surrounding it would be pictures of this, of you. And then every mirror in my house would be similarly, similarly warped. So the child could not actually see an accurate uh, reflection of himself. And whenever I did like family photos, I would just like superimpose your face on the child in post. Badly? You got to edit it in badly. Badly enough for the kid to be confused. And I would just sort of gaslight my child into becoming you. For making your son, Walter, you could do what I did in college once while I was having a allegedly an episode and um, <laughs> on one of the times you write in dry erase marker on the mirror, you trace your body at a weird perspective because you're tracing it 
from while you're very close up against a um, whatever them's called that came with the room. So it's a body mirror, a body scoper, but um, you trace your whole body in this weird perspective. And then you have, you're like, you draw the head and you say no, and then you erase it and you just draw a big square. And then in like violent caveman holding the marker in the fist handwriting in big letters, I wrote you, but you can write Walter. <laughs> I brought a Portuguese docu-fiction film called Tras Os Montes. I don't know how to pronounce it because I don't speak Portuguese. The film basically is about Tras Os Montes. It's a district region uh, in the northeast of Portugal. It is translated into English, Tras Os Montes, as behind the mountains. And the place is very uphill. It's like on the uplands. Actually, no, I think the term would be highlands, right? Isn't that what people say? The highlands? Yeah. is up up in the hills, up in the mountains. I said it was a docufiction. Because it is a little bit of a documentary. There are documentary bits. So yeah, you get to see lots of culture, including food, clothes, toys, like spinning tops. Like a Beyblade? Like a Beyblade? Like a Beyblade? Like two Beyblades? Like a Bakugan? Like a Beyblade? Like, like a Tech Deck? Like a Bakugan Beyblade? They usually yell before they spin. What do they yell, Well, I don't know. Zeus? Fuck it. I don't know. What do white people like when they spin tops? What do white people... I am a white person and I really like Batman. So they might scream, Batman! I will admit that it was made in the 70s. I didn't see a single TV there or a cell phone. So perhaps Batman hasn't been invented yet in Portugal. (laughs) Batman hadn't made it to Portugal yet. I bring all this up because it's kind of hard to tell what is fiction and what is a documentary in this movie. Time in this film is also really weird. It also flows summer goes into winter this film is also littered with historical fables from tras on montes one of the best examples of this is there's these two boys who are like walking around having a bunch of fun and then suddenly they run into these two old men and these two old men are like you guys are our grandpas and then they leave and it's like back to the reality and there's like no explanation and it just keeps like flowing seeping and that's seeping. all it is. I don't want to watch a movie that seeps. Flowing I want to watch a movie that seeps. I mean, what are you, else are you supposed to do eight hours a day? Die? <laughs> Sometimes you're a seepy boy and you have to seep, Suede. No. Do you ever go to school? I'm not Do you ever go to knowledge curse. school? Just say your, say your weird little serial killer thing you say. Just say Tell me now and tell me true. <laughs> seepy boy. Is it you? See, that's fucking nightmarish. That's ghoulish. If someone said that to me as I was falling asleep, I would rock it awake. Like, oh no, someone is coming to like root around in my organs. But it's interesting kind of the blurring of fiction, reality, and fable. I once saw a documentary film called American Animals, and I thought they were doing that as a narrative conceit where they said it was based off real events and the dudes they were interviewing about it being real and stuff because it seemed fake to me. But afterwards... When I left the theater with my buddy and they went, it was real. And I looked it up on Wikipedia and it was real. And that completely changed how I perceived it 
It's about this group of college students who decide they're going to do a heist. These are the boys what stole the, the book, right? That really expensive book. Yeah. And they're like, fun heist. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly it turns into, oh, we're stuck in this point. We have to knock out this like kind librarian. And they suddenly realize it's horrible and um, it's not fun. And it changes that it's real because it was like, oh, these guys did that. Yeah, these guys kind of suck, huh? Just like the Big Lebowski, <laughs> John Goodman did that. Jeff Bridges, he did that. Uh, shout out to Smokey, played by a uh, musician, Jimmy Dale Gilmore. He's actually going to be on next week's episode of the podcast, so be ready for oh, that. Oh, and you only have one guest at a time, so I can't talk to Jimmy Dale. I, mean, I, I, uh, I, but, don't, have uh, to, I don't have to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that when we finally do get Guar Gura on the podcast, shout out to the greatest YouTuber of all time, Guar Gura. We're going to have Collins because so many people are going to want to be on this episode. That's that's realism right there, VTubers. That's good quality realism. Well, if you're talking about the mix. I mean, I, I guess I guess the thing that you, if you want to talk about realism and VTubers, you know, there's definitely this parasocial relationship. There's a layer of weirdness that's added, and I think this is true of all Twitch and streamers, that you can interact with them, right? But with a normal Twitch streamer or a streamer of any kind, you can, like, see them and they're real and their flesh is real. But with these VTubers, there's this perceived added layer of realness versus fakeness because they're, they're, they have, like, a rigged up anime girl to do their thing, right? How different is the person that is streaming on Twitch as a person a real being? And they're also two two-dimensional images, right? They're projected on a screen. I'm not making value judgments either way on social media, good or bad, whatever. But I think that is also an inherent thing with social media as a greater thing. Even for people you know, you are you are projecting an image. You can be following someone for years that you don't know on whatever thing. The more um, yeah. actually personal it is, maybe the, the more it's just a regular person and not a celebrity, I think the more you think you know them, which is interesting because you don't. It's like the simulacrum, right? It's like Baudrillard's simulacrum. It's 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 like all these malls that are like presenting the American ideal, right? But it's not real America. And I think getting back to the documentary you watched, Walter, like VTubers and social media, the viewership that one gives these things, these like social media people, these social media stars, these streamers, these VTubers is, is exactly like your movie because you don't know where the fiction of the character's persona begins and their actual life ends. Wade, not many days ago, sent me a video of a close-up of him, I believe, uh, kissing different pictures on the wall of VTubers. Nope, those are not VTubers. My bad. Those were the waifus on the waifu wall. When you saw that video, that was posted five years ago. Oh my god. I should have known because you had completely different hair. I don't remember why I was kissing the waifus, but I remember consistently- because I- didn't like it. Yeah, that was a big part of it. We would, one of the things we would do to get Walter to do things. It was black. Like he was like not putting in his headphones while I wanted to study or like was like drunk and yelling and wanted to like make a mess. I'd be like, Walter, if you don't do this, I'm going to kiss the waifus. He's like, no, you don't know. And I'd get close and he'd be like, wait, don't do, don't kiss the waifus. No, 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 don't get, you can't kiss the waifus. They're my waifus. I'd be like, I'm going to kiss the waifus wall. I don't know why he would have thought that you wouldn't do it in a second, but the internet is for three things and three things only. Multiplayer fighting games with a with a leaderboard so I can win, torrenting, and connecting to a speaker and playing out loud on loop as you start your day. The YouTube video, it's about a minute and 15 seconds long, and it's why they made YouTube. It's called ASMR Yoda <laughs> Cock and Ball Torture Hardstyle Remix. 
Well, okay. The reason why I don't think the VTuber stuff is that different from what I'm talking about is because there almost is something different about a film like Tras Os Montes, where the film has made it impossible for you to come to a conclusion if it's real or not real. In this movie, you actively go through, not just through the flow of time, the seasons and that stuff, but you also go through that flow of reality. It's interesting, even in reality, Susan Sontag, once again, photography on photography, that essay she wrote, it's like translating. You can't just be a clear medium to convey something. If you're taking a photograph that you are, you can't be an objective observer that's you perceive in a certain way like there's a whole literary thing about israelism real i think not israel isn't real or israel even real you know what i'm talking about israelism the jews the jews we're talking about the jews again the state of israel the state of israel every single one out of five episodes you're allowed to talk about batman once every four podcasts and talk about israel once every three podcasts people have said this movie is kind of a shitty movie because it's about a place, isolated, and it doesn't give any of the people there a voice. I kind of agree in a way. I like it, I'm confused as to what is shitty about it. That's my question. This is the problem of ethnography, right? You are a documentary maker. You go into a place to film a documentary. You don't belong in that place, or you can never really give that place a voice. So you dictate that story on what you put on film and this film really dives into that shit by not even showing you which parts are real and which parts are not this gets back to like i mean this is an age-old question right it's not just ethnography i mean the whole the whole creation of anthropology is like basically this i don't have an answer to it other than that i think fiction is more useful than nonfiction for situations like this? Well, for me, the reason why this is interesting in this film in particular is because this film tackles an incredibly isolated community up in the highlands where they're surrounded by mountains. But this community faces another juxtaposition, modernity. But what? But what is being spoken? That's my question. What is being spoken for these people? It doesn't really say anything. That's the thing. It's not even that no, someone, it's not even that these people are having their voice taken away with a message. It's just saying like, this is what I think is going on here. Or this is what I think is pretty. So my interaction with this idea of not letting people speak, the main point of contact I have with it, as far as like academic and intellectual thinking, is this essay called Can the Sub? Ultron speak. One of the things that the woman focuses on is the idea of wife burning in India and how when the British came and colonized, they outlawed wife burning. There's this question of like, I mean, it's good that the wives aren't being burned, but it's because of this Western narrative that you can't burn your wife, right? And so what, what she comes to is like using this like extreme example, even if as a colonizer, you're trying to make a person's life better, you are still speaking over them. And the only option you have as someone who has either been the colonizer or is currently the colonizer is to give a blank space and to just in no way, shape or form speak over that person. I think a lot of it comes down to kind of a voyeurism kind of observing thing. Because one, the intended audience for the documentary is not the people it's about. It's for an outside audience in the perceived in-group. You're talking about um, wife burning earlier, I think, because it's not just a value judgment on whether it's good or bad. It's that it's also strange and you're looking at it to an outside context in that cultural judgments, it being contested issue. I just don't think this film is dealing with judgments. 
I think that is part of the question is um, value judgments versus just presentation. I mean, you can't present without interpreting. You are choosing the shots and the editing and you're pointing the camera and stuff. Yeah. No, I think Lee's on to something that there's always a value judgment. You're always presenting and value judgments when you're curating a set of whatever's like, even if it's just like, I think the green, the blue and the yellow go good in this sequence. Well, and see, that's why I gravitate towards fiction for situations like this. So in China, there's a very basic poem you like learn in middle school called Tofa Yunge, which is kind of translated as the peach blossom spring. This poem is about this guy who like accidentally rows his boat into a fucking cave. And then inside the cave opens up this like beautiful little, little village isolated from society. And there's like peach blossom fucking utopia and everyone's super nice to him and no one knows any of the kings he can't find peach blossom kingdom again after he leaves okay so the there's tragedy. like this, the yeah, tragedy there's like this, but i feel like in some sense i do think traz osmontes the film is trying to make traz osmontes look like those fantastical places i think it's impressive for a documentary to give enough fantasy that reality almost becomes more of a fantastical place there is something about like this transcendent sense of time that gives some places that even if you put a fantasy element on them they can be symbols well it's it's because it's outside of modernity right i mean that's that's going back to your movie it's it's outside of modernity it's fucking great is it's it's, i mean it's not true there's no way trace montes is outside of modernity tras os montes as i said it plays with time so much. In a way, I don't think the film's documentary making is about Tras Osmontes. It's almost like it's a documentary about a legend. I, I just don't think this film is dealing with modernity, though. Yeah, I mean, it has, it has to be because the absence of modernity is interaction with it. So when does something like the Peach Blossom Spring no longer become pretty because of modernity. I think the the Peach Blossom Kingdom is like a pretty old school archetype, right? Like there are there are there are lots of stories about people uh like especially myths finding a place full of beauty, loving it and then not being able to find it again. I was thinking about on sort of the relationship between the kind of blurring of documentary and fiction. The documentarian doesn't speak. So, blending it with fiction, like it's not just like, ooh, what's real, what's fake? It's like you're not going to know what this is. I'm speaking for it. And I'm also establishing reality because you don't know. If you look around, you can find some examples where real places have a fantasy element to them. I think Mecca for Muslims. Likely like Evangelion? Talk- like, uh, like, like Shining Finger? Shining Finger! What is that? One of the Gundam guys. It's like Gundam, the Gundam G or whatever, the the Gundam universe where like all the people. Are... I don't know, dude. I'm still on Mobile Suit Gundam. How do you expect me to know that? Okay, well, one of the characters in Gundam Super Technique is Shining Finger. Uh, the other example I have in mind is dude. Adi why isn't there? A, why isn't there a a, a Muslim a, a Muslim themed mecha anime? That would be so fucking dope, dude. Let me get slightly away from the mic. This is going to be loud. Let's talk about Point Break. Director, Catherine Bigelow. Starring young Keanu Reeves. Young Keo. Patrick Swayze. And it is a cult classic. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's so bad, it's good, or whatever. No. 
I think it's a good movie. I think on its own artistic merit, it owns. And I have proof. I have 20 pages of notes. Uh, Lee, I, I will say one of the major rules on this podcast is that there are no such thing as bad movies. That's true. Which is why anyone who says anything about Point Break go fuck themselves. But also like not ironically liking it. You have to go in it with your whole heart. You have to open your whole heart. Well, liking things ironically is pretty lame. So I, I think I'm with you there. The dialogue is so good because no one talks like how they talk. They say this wild stuff super fast. And then there are these weird pauses where they're just like, this boss guy, I'll get to it. It's just like, rookie with great stats and no experience. We don't drink. We don't smoke. And the FBI, he's like, sir, I take the skin off chicken. And he's like, special agent Utah, you're a real blue plate special, aren't you, son? Young, dumb, and full of cum. And Keanu just stares at him while (laughs) chewing a donut. And that isn't even, that's just in the first like four minutes. There's both what the movie is doing to you, your body and soul and your feelings, not just that it's going up in an arc and it's like, oh, it's more serious now, but the like intermingling of the different genres. So they start out the movie. It suddenly it breaks into the first of 100,000 slow motion surfing shots that go underwater and up and they're like, like the time almost, it's almost always that California golden hour also, I do believe for the night scenes, for the night scenes, they did film them during the day and just put a filter on them, which does cool stuff for the lighting because the light on the water looks wild. Fun fact, specifically this film, they say uh, fuck over 90 times, <laughs> 94 uses of fuck, 50 uses of shit, 16 uses of damn, 15 paired with God, 13 uses of ass, nine paired with whole, four uses of hell, Four uses of bitch, six uses of Christ, five uses of Jesus Christ, one use of dick. <laughs> this movie's pretty profane. So Johnny Utah is a wet behind the ears, new FBI special agent coming in to get his first real experience. He's in like the top 2% of candidates. He's a big shot, hot shot, but he doesn't have any real experience. And it's important to note He is doing like this surfer voice before he's going undercover as a surfer because he was a a football man for the um, Ohio Buckeyes. And at the Rose Bowl, he like vaporized his knee 90 degrees on the outside. But they so he's dropped his professional football career and then just became an FBI agent. His knee thing <laughs> does come up many times. That's crazy. What? <laughs> oh, Swade. So, th- oh, so this man goes from like football boy? Johnny Utah. He goes from Johnny football boy Utah. to like gun boy? Yeah. So he joins the FBI. It enters this crime, the crime drama section. He's at the office. He's walking through this old office and he's talking to the new FBI man, kind of intaking him, kind of insulting him in the whole like, ah, young, dumb, fool, come. You may have good scores, but you don't know anything. And this weird back and forth pauses in between statements, but they speak, they say the wildest things, wildest turns of phrase. It like, just like a rolling river all at once, naturally. So then he gets introduced to his partner, Gary Busey, Angelo Pappas. Pappas, okay. Okay, Daddy Pappas. Yeah, I go back between calling him Gary Busey and Pappas, spelled like Pappas with an extra an extra P. <laughs> like, okay, it's a weird buddy cop thing. It's this FBI training thing where they have to find bricks blindfolded, and Gary Busey's like arguing with this guy. He's like, 
I've been here for 22 years. I've never had to die for bricks. This is stupid as hell. Um, and he's blindfolded. Keanu comes up and he's like, and they've, there's this Johnny Utah. They've assigned me to this old new fuck. And um, Keanu's like, yeah, no, that sucks. Tell me about it. And the guy comes up and another guy comes up and he's like, yeah, this is Johnny Utah. And he's like, ah, shit. So they're on this, on this case. We need to track down these bank robbers because they have robbed 27 banks in three years, in and out, 90 seconds, only the cash drawers, no vault. And they're called the ex-presidents because it's four dudes wearing these horrible rubber president masks. They have LBJ, Carter, (laughs) Nixon, and the ringleader, Reagan, and they speak in the voices and they're going in or whatever. I was thinking a lot about... When you're talking about the earlier episode, the goofy violence in Batman, where the yeah, Joker yeah. does a little joke, but then he just like kills someone. Imagine that in an R-rated movie where this bank is being robbed by dudes like Nixon, but some dude will like pistol whip a woman to the ground. They're doing some fun, zany Joker stuff, but it is very, it's real violence. Um, Nixon's like, I'm not a crook. And then one of the guys turns around and moons everybody and he has thank you written on his ass. But, like, they hurt people real. And that's a consistent thing in this whole movie. Say you are, like, in a group where it's, like, you're having fun and kind of an adrenaline, like, partying hard way. And you're like, oh, these people are fun. And you get more and more fucked up. And then suddenly it crosses over this verge. And you're like, oh, I'm scared. I feel unsafe. These people don't have my back. And that's what this movie does constantly. Suddenly you're like, I'm having fun. Oh, I'm afraid. Then there's, like, an ex- like explosion. And the people left behind like one guy's like crying for his mom and she's getting interrogated and stuff and then she like she sees one of the bills on the ground looks at the guy's face and it's just like i remember when we used to vote for him like it's like it's like riding on the edge of adrenaline this is essentially like risk-taking adrenaline junkie riding on the edge of adrenaline stuff it just constantly stays on that point where it's weaving back and forth between like oh yeah this is too much this is scary and it goes back in points where you should feel like it's too much. It will go back into like being kind of fun because the characters do wild shit with this and their attitudes and how they're responding. Anyways, they're like these bank robbers come past these two agents and they're like, tell us about your <laughs> dipshit theory, Pappas. Oh yeah. Hang 10 dude. They see that they've got a soil sample from one of Reagan or Nixon's boots. The sample contains sand and some other things And this one type of wax, one of them is called sex wax. Keanu goes, you into kinky shit, man? And Gary Busey goes, (laughs) and not yet. It means nothing. But they're like, this is a certain type of surfboard wax. Hey, the robberies are consistently during the range of surf season in the summer. This group of bank robbers is surfers. We got to go undercover. Keanu, you have to get in deep with this surfer group. Because he's like, well, can I just go in and pretend to be a board? And he's like, you don't understand. Surfers, they're a group. They're interlocked. It's like a thing. You got to get in with them. And they are essentially like genuinely in function and mentality a cult. This is essentially what happens here with Patrick Swayze as Bodhi. Oh, man, him and Keanu. But there's also a babe. Anyway, so this is the nesting thing where it's like FBI thing, buddy cop. They're finding bank robbery. And then it goes into a surfing movie. Surfer movie. And Keanu gets too deep. And he has a babe, Tyler, who's actually pretty cool. She's got, she's like hot and a little bit of a butch way. Not, I wouldn't say she's butch. Like she's got, she's got some oomph. 
I like her. I like her. She definitely is more powerful than Keanu. They get back, they cut back to all the close water shots and stuff. He's trying to surf. Everyone's making fun of him. He eats shit. This babe drags him out of the water and saves his life. <laughs> and she's like, you stupid son of a bitch. You could have died. And he's like, sorry, man. My name's Johnny Utah. And she's like, I don't give a shit. And they look her up. Her name's Tyler Ann Indicott. And the thing is that her parents died in a plane crash. Johnny Utah's parents are still alive. But... He's getting in it. He tells her his real life story, but then he adds to the end that his parents died in a plane crash, <laughs> which did not happen. That's so good. My name's Johnny Utah. It's my real name. I was a football man and I right angled my knee in the wrong way. And then instead of being FBI man, I went to law school. And did I mention we share a similar dead parents thing, but she doesn't know that he knows that. So he's just like, can you imagine what it would be like in that? And she's like, I'll teach you surfing. Midwest boy. He's, he's pranked her. He's trauma pranked her. He's pranked her because he's undercover and they do genuinely fall deeply in and deeply in love, which is very. And he's like, yeah, I've never seen the ocean. I want to surf. You don't understand. I got to learn to surf or break my neck. And she's like, really? And he's like, yeah, my parents died in a car crash. And now I got to learn to surf. I feel it. So then there's a montage of him learning to surf, which most of the first part of it is her trying to get him to like balance and do regular things on the board on the sand and telling him that he sucks shit at it. And then he does a little actual surfing montage. Gary Busey is in the distance in the car tailing and is very, very obviously watching with binoculars with his whole torso out of the car and not that far away. He's smoking a huge <laughs> cigar all the time. He's wearing like yes. Jimmy Buffett dad shirts. He's a sloppy old man. Like he's not actually competent, really. And at one point she calls him a pig boy piece of shit while he's learning to Why surf. Why does she call him a pig boy? Because because he, like, really beefs it. Okay, okay. Now, so they're like, okay, if these guys are surfers, we got to figure out surfers are territorial. So we need to go and get hair samples from different beaches and see what chemicals is on them. They find a specific beach, and they're like, we need to find the surfer group. Because surfers are, are tight. They have a camaraderie, and the, this bank group also does. Pappas is staring like a dipshit with his binoculars, um, and a dude decks Keanu and then cuts his board tether for like dinging him with a surfboard. And um, he's on the radio with Pappas like, Angelo, I've eaten shit 47 times and got my legs punched out by some psycho locals out here with ponytails. So he's at the outdoor shower and some dudes come up and turn it off. And it's one of the guys from earlier in combine with a few other guys who have really fun names. It's Bunker, War Child, <laughs> shit like that. They start trying to beat the shit out of him. And then suddenly Patrick Swayze appears. And in the background, Pappas is running across a big road, horribly trying to dodge cars, holding the binoculars, um, <laughs> trying to get to Utah because he's not responding. Then eventually, so Swayze helps him fight him off. And he's like, hey, I'm Bodie. I'm a big surfer, man. And he looks at him. He's like, Keanu's looking at him. They look at each other weirdly. And he's like, those guys, they surf, but they don't understand the spirit of it. They only live to get radical. They don't understand the spirit of the sea. You lose yourself. You find yourself. And also they're apparently like Nazis. They get back to the FBI lab or whatever. And they're like, oh, those Nazis have a um, long criminal record. So they're like, these are probably, these might be our guys. Let's get in it. Um, and then Pappas is at this big ass cigar. Uh, Johnny plays football on the beach. He gets invited to a night bonfire with the surfers. And they're playing this like, 
other co- this cover from another band of smoke on the water because it goes in between the surfing revelation music and stuff like that um and it's just dude grunts and yells as they play beach football um punching <laughs> the shit out of each other and then um can Keanu and, do it? I thought his leg is too fucked up to do beach football. No, he's just doing it. It's too fucked up to do real football. Anyways, he chases Patrick Swayze across the beach and like suddenly they start playing the surfing music again. They're in the dark running after each other on the beach. He tackles them and they start roughhousing and then the guys are like, oh, dude, Johnny, dude, you went too far. And Swayze like, do you know who this is? This is Johnny Utah, football man from the Rose Bowl, but he fucked up his knee. And everyone's like, oh shit, it's Johnny Utah. And so he starts getting in it and he claims that he went to law school and they're like, lawyers don't surf. And he goes, this one does. This sounds like, this sounds like an ideal Keanu Reeves movie too. I think oh, it's perfect. Is. He gets dressed down by the head FBI man for joining the surfers. And he's holding his like surfboard and Gary Busey's got a cigar in his mouth and they're getting yelled at for a long time. And he goes, Christ, does either of you have anything to fucking tell me? And Keanu goes, I caught my first tube this morning, <laughs> sir. So during their party, they're talking about their whole thing for surfing. It sort of dips into, they have their idea about maximum adrenaline getting a spiritual side of it it seems like they're all smooching each other and stuff like there's they're just like in a big uh surfer a big gay a big gay surfer polycule (laughs) kind of i mean none of the dudes hit each other but it's this is this is an important part where patrick swayze's like i believe that nature has cycles and two times a century the ocean reminds us of how small we are and winter storm in antarctica goes down the pacific and makes this big the biggest wave of all time it's the ultimate rush it's how i want to go out it's how i'm gonna die i'll be there and the guys are like yeah we're gonna die and suddenly the party of them sitting around the fire and stuff crosses that point of it's like and oh. you've returned you've returned to the danger zone you've returned to the danger zone there's a more surfing montages he smooches tyler they have sex on a beach he wakes up and then they're going to do this raid. They're doing this FBI raid, right? Where they have these two dudes who are helping them where they've been scoping out this house where the, like the group that they think are the, the criminals. And it goes, this is the, the ridiculousness to like violence to the mood shift, but it doesn't stop being ridiculous. So he shows up for a raid and he's all rumpled wearing sunglasses. And it's silly. And they're like, you ready to rock? It's showtime. Pappas pretends he's like looking for a fake dog named Scooby yelling down the neighborhood and stuff. He's like, Scooby, Scooby. And he goes up to their door and he knocks. And he's like, where's Scooby? And there's a like guy inside, like pouring beer into his cereal instead of milk. And this lady's like, I don't fucking know. Get out of here. Get out of here. Go on, get and she's like, there's someone at the front door. And suddenly the guys start pulling out this bag and pouring out a thousand like guns. And they start arming themselves. Like people bust in and they just start shooting. They start killing each other. Like graphically, they're fighting and stuff. Like people are getting like shot in the head. One guy gets shot on the foot and it's showing this gore and they're like screaming. And specifically the part I thought about is that there's a girl in the shower. Like the door gets broken in on her and there's this girl. She's crouched in the shower watching all of this death. And she's just screaming like her heart's being ripped out and so where it goes from a little bit funny to like horrifying and the reactions and stuff because the guys are also like you know they're screaming and grunting and stuff but they're seeing their friends die they're getting shot and they don't like make it cartoony so in the background these guys are like being secured by the fbi agents and there's like screaming and crying and grunting as like guys are choking on their own blood or seeing their buddies dead or being like restrained just like and Keanu's staring in a mirror, smashed his head against the mirror, and he's clutching the edge of the sink for dear life, looking at the cracked mirror that his own head had been slammed into, and he's shaking. It's his first 
actual field experience. Like suddenly Keanu suddenly is completely convincing and he's in it and he just, this is the first time he has seen just this senseless brutality that he didn't realize he'd be a party to or a part of. Gary Busey is standing behind him. He goes, just paper targets until today, huh? It's no different, Johnny. Just a little bit more to clean up. And it's wild because Pappas is still a guy in a stupid shirt, smoking a cigar. And Keanu Reeves is still Johnny Utah and his little weird ruffled button down. But there are people screaming and crying and dying in the background. And he's staring in the mirror. And Pappas is like, killing people is the same as shooting targets. You need to take life the same way you shoot a target. And there's a deep cover guy who's like, you boo, I was in here for three months. The guy has perfect records because he's been there for three months. And the whole group was in a different place when one of the banks So was they wrong. fucked up and it wasn't even the bad guys to begin with? Yeah, no, no. They busted him where they had meth. They blew another operation. There's all this brutality. They weren't the robbers, the ex-presidents, if you will. Anyway, so there's another surf montage. Bodie shows up. He's like, let's surf at night. And suddenly it goes from like revelry to danger again, where they're surfing at night. It's like, this is dangerous. Someone says something like, like Tyler says, something like, I like ghosts. And then there's a flashback to an earlier line for just a second of Gary Busey going about the robbers. These guys, they're like ghosts. And Keanu's like, oh my God. And he stares at Patrick Swayze's beautiful body night surfing. And it's clearly, I'm pretty sure a daylight filter. Okay. Okay. They figure it out that they're the robbers. And so they're like, okay, they're going to rob one last bank at the end of the summer. They packed up their house. And so they're sitting in this car, staking it out. And Pappas is laughing loudly at, this newspaper cartoons he's reading where he's just like ha, 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 that Calvin and Hobbes and then he's like Johnny can you go there's this restaurant on the corner I mean at lunch and he's like Pappas it's 10 30 in the morning and he's like I don't care they have the best meatball sandwiches I've ever had get me two and then he's leaving the car and he's like wait Johnny get me two and so Johnny's buying these fucking sandwiches and the shot behind him the car pulls up to the bank and the guys with the guns and the president masks all pile out and they go into the bank and start robbing it. It cuts back to Jerry, Gary Busey reading his stupid fucking newspaper comic. And then, so they catch the guys going out and they go on this car chase that again is this mix of like zany and violent stuff. And it starts to be this foot chase between Johnny and Ronald Reagan. And they're running through these yards and they're like jumping over like people's like backyard, like kids stuff. They run through this woman's house. He locks a porch door. Johnny punches through it in one, one punch. And the lady's like, <laughs> I don't fuck you up. And she's holding a long handled vacuum trying to hit him. And he just runs straight through. And then he goes out the door and Reagan has a, a pit bull that he just has in his arms. So he just kind of throws at him. And so it's this goofy chase, right? But it's like violent. And the people in the houses are afraid. And then they jump off a wall. And Johnny lands on his knee. He, le- he lets you know it's his knee very loudly. So Reagan's climbing a fence. And they make eye contact. Johnny's got his gun pointed at him. He looks back from his Reagan mask. It's goofy still. But it gets closer and closer. And they look back and forth. They look back and forth for a second. It's Bodie's eyes in the Reagan mask. They stare each other down. Johnny doesn't shoot. Reagan scampers off. He screams into the air, empties his clip into the air. Later, Pappas is like, you don't miss. You did that on purpose. There's a cut to one of the surfers. They're talking about, uh, the, uh, they're sitting around a fire again with Patrick Swayze and all the people. And one of the guys is like, "Like this isn't a game anymore. I'm saying, this is real life. I'm going to, I am scared. And Patrick's like, dead eyes. And there's a specific... There's a Bodie's like, the stakes are up. And the guy's like, fuck the stakes. This is real. This is only a game to you. I'm scared. Okay. And the one other guy's like, you run, you die. And Bodie goes, come on, think about it. This was never about money. It's us against the system. That system that kills the human spirit. 
We stand for something to those dead souls inching down along the freeways in their metal coffins. We show them that the human spirit is still alive. There's a whole arc. Tyler finds out he's an FBI agent and yells at him, fucker, I bet you even lied about your parents. And he was like, yeah, I did. She's like, fuck you. And he tries to follow her. He's like, Tyler, Tyler. But he steps on his knee. He goes, oh, my knees. Rolling around. He's like, Tyler, oh, my knee. And there's a montage of him laying on the bed like this and leaving her pathetic voicemails. And then I'm going to not, I'm not going to lie. One of the best, my favorite all time moments in film. This is one that just makes me like when I watch it scream like hell yes, no matter where I and who I am. Yeah. So he's lying on the bed alone after Tyler's left him. There's a knock on the door. It's Bodie and the crew. He knows who they are. They know who he is. They know that he knows. He knows that they know. He goes with and Bodie opens the door after all this and he goes, howdy, brah. And Keanu's like, I don't think I want to surf right now. And then he tries to discreetly get his gun when like Patrick Swayze packing up his shit and he can't. And what they're doing is they're going skydiving. The fun fact is that Patrick Swayze recreationally skydove and he did all his own shots, but the crew were like, for liability reasons, they're like, Patrick, you can't skydive while we're on shoot. You can skydive for the skydives in the movie. And then he very regularly, routinely went after work and took cast members to go skydive because he couldn't get enough skydiving. So he was just breaking the rules. He was just like, I want to do it anyways. Yeah. It's um the unshot, uncut shot of Bodie yelling, adios amigo, and falling from the plane. Features Swayze actually making a jump, which is cool because he does like a backflip. It's my favorite behind the scenes fact. And you're like, Patrick, we're letting you go skydiving once. This movie was only filmed in like three months or something. And he could not. And he took other people with him because he, he loves he skydiving. He could not wait so three months much. to jump out of a plane. He goes with them and they all know, but he's like, he gets sucked back into this where they're beyond whatever roles. They're in the spirit. They're in this thing. So they go and they're in the plane. He's going skydiving with them and they get up and they're in the plane and they're like, this is it. And so they jump out and there's this shot, these actual shots of them above the landscape. It's beautiful. It's blue. It's like they're having like a transcendent moment and they're all like, there are these close shots and there's big shots above the whole landscape. The little figures, everyone's like dropping. Some of them are like doing tricks and stuff. One guy's like, sex with the gods, who can beat this? One of the guys is wearing swim flippers. They're having this beautiful revelation moment. And Johnny starts laughing where he's just like, yeah, yeah. And then there's a bit where they all move together and Keanu kind of moves towards them and links hands and there's this above shot of them all falling. It's really pretty actually, beautiful shot of this landscape. They're just like amazing, fucking amazing. They all look in each other's eyes. It's like this moment of incredible human connection. Like you never like, you, like everyone hopes to experience together. Like it's insane. And right. then one of the guys goes and break and they, you know, go apart and everyone's going towards the water landing. But Bodie and Johnny like clasp hands as they're dropping which is there's a great parallel later with the best film scene of all time. And they're falling together playing shoot chicken. And he's like, you pull your shoot. No, you pull your fucking shoot. No, you pull your shoot. And eventually, so Bodie pulls Johnny's and then pulls his own and Johnny drops and he like lands while flipping him off. And then Bodie's like, hey, bro, you got to see this. Get into the back of this van. Look at what I got. And he turns on his weird little TV. It's just recording. And he's got... Tyler hostage with it like a gag in her mouth. Oh no. And so he's like, Yeah, you know, I don't like violence, but uh it's an insurance policy. Like I hate to get the blood on my hands and everything. So we have the same goal now. Help me get to where I'm going. 
let's be partners. And then they suddenly, they like shake hands and suddenly they're in it together again. They're just beyond their actual human relationships. And they take him to rob a bank with them. And they only have the four masks. And so Keanu is face out as they rob this bank. Oh no. So they're in there and like Keanu busts in apparently in the role or whatever, where before anyone else starts doing things, they're like, there's a robbery and they're going in. He goes up to this guy with his gun. He's like on the floor, asshole. I'll blow your kneecaps out. Be on the fucking floor. This time they empty the cash drawers in 90 seconds. They're in and out. Bodie, AKA Mr. President Reagan, because they do voices the whole time decides to go for the vault. And so they're staying there for longer. And then this guy on the ground, Next to the security guy is like, tss, tss, you got a gun? I'm a cop. I'm an undercover cop. It just, it again, like with the raid, it just goes into this sudden hyper-violent gunfight. They're just shooting each other. Bodhi just nails the cop in the chest like four times. He rips off his mask, his like face, fucked up under it. Keanu gets shot in the chest like four times, but he was shown putting on a bulletproof vest earlier. You know how villains monologue and things and it builds up and stuff and they don't actually kill them and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those ones where a villain would just walk in, shoot the person in the head. The guy who's LBJ, the guy go, he's like shot and the guy goes down and Patrick Swayze is in there and he's like, he's like patting his hair. He's like, it's okay. It's okay. Dude, dude, it's fine. Like, hang in there. Hang in there. A little like he's his like, parent and the guy's like staring up at him and he's like we don't have time and they leave his body there and on the way out he pistol whips johnny utah in the head he goes unconscious and he wakes up he's getting arrested by the fbi dude and they're like piece of shit idiot three people are dead you got too deep in these server surfer things and then you robbed a bank with them and people died he's like yeah bro and then Gary Busey comes up and the FBI guy whose name is Hart, last name is Harp. And Gary's like, let him go, dude. And he's like, you're washed up piece of shit, whatever. You deserve each other fuck ups and stuff. And Gary Busey goes, Harp, I want to tell you something. I worked in this bureau while you were still popping zits off your funny face and jacking it to the lingerie section of the Sears catalog. Um, he's like, you know, one thing I learned in the old thing that I think you never learned. And the guy was like, what? And he just sucker punches him in the face super hard, knocks him out. He goes, respect for my elders. And then they just leave. <laughs> Keanu's like, I know where they're going to the airport. Because of the hostage thing, Keanu's also like, we can't arrest them or shoot them. And he's like, what? It cuts back. They arrive at the airplane. They've got some sort of pilot guy for them and then it's the rest of them they're loading stuff onto a like a small private plane like johnny comes out he's unarmed pappas is covering him from behind with a gun he's like people are dead the ride is over like this adrenaline thing he's like tell me where she is i walk away and one of the guys roach comes up behind pappas and then they just turn around instead of being like this big thing him and gary Busey just shoot each other a hundred thousand fucking times and Gary Busey's about to like nail Patrick Swayze and Keanu's like, no, don't, don't. And so he doesn't. And then Gary Busey gets nailed a thousand more times. He's choking on his own blood on the ground. Keanu's like, oh no, but he doesn't say anything. He just stares at him and his eyes go dead. No last words or anything. They leave his body there. Another dead body in the pursuit of the ride. The one guy left, Nate Roach, has been shot multiple times and he is in dire straits. But he's like, we're still in this together, man. You want your girl or whatever? And he's like, so he takes him with him on the plane. So they're just all on the plane together while this guy's going. 
Um, he's like, we're going to ride this all the way, Johnny, you and me. And then the guy, Roach, is like, I'm cold. He does the, he's like, hey, bro, I'm cold. And Patrick Sweezy's like, it's okay. It's all right. Like, you're going to be good. You're hanging in. You're doing great. And he like kisses him on the head. And Johnny's like, Roach, you're cold because you're dying. Was it worth it? And Patrick's like, don't listen to him, bro. Don't listen to him. But he is, he is dying. And Patrick's like, it's fine. It's fine. And so he's like, here, here, sweet little boy. Puts a shoot on Roach pushes kind of pushes him out while laughing instead of roach getting he just sort of this guy's like dying of blood loss and he just sort of like <laughs> skydiving again Bodie turns to johnny he's got his own shoot and he's like i know it's hard for you johnny i know you want me so bad it's like ass in your mouth but not this time and then Bodie jumps out with his shoot and johnny's there he's holding a gun he jumps out with no shoot and a gun and he just goes fuck it <laughs> and it's like a parallel to the earlier jump scene. And then he lands on Bodhi and they're like clutching each other, like face to face. They're handsy. They could be smooching. You wouldn't <laughs> see clutching each other. And they're playing chicken in that. He's like, Bodhi, pull the fucking shoot. We're going to get on the ground. And Bodhi's like, you can't pull the shoot without dropping your gun. And the other hand, you're cu- holding on to me. Like you have to pull, drop your gun to pull the shoot. And he's like, Bodhi, pull the fucking shoot. And he's like, I won't. These two dudes are falling through thin air. Um, and then Johnny pulls the chute, they jump, he lands on his knee, and he goes, oh, my knee, and starts rolling around on the ground, screaming about his knee. Of course, There's an sh- open chute kind of fluttering in the wind in the distance, and it's Roach, he landed, he is dead. Patrick Swayze's like, better luck next time, champ, that's the game. Rosie and some other guy drive up, and they give him back, they're like, here, you don't need, your girl doesn't need to be a hostage anymore, they give him Tyler, they're like hugging and crying, like this regular action movie trope. Like, she goes to say I love you, and he's like, shh some other time which is very good i don't know why he does that so they're hugging and crying and Bodie's like yo johnny i'll see you in the next life and then he drives off they cut to keanu driving heavy rain time has passed he's in australia they're talking about how it's the big one it's the cyclone his hair is different it's kind of long and a lord farquad he's wearing like a jean jacket jeans canadian tech tuxedo and he's like going he's going there's a huge storm like all the Australian surfers and beach guys are coming back and they're like, you die, you die out there. Like everyone's leaving one man standing there in the surf. It's Bodhi. Keanu pulls out the Reagan mask. He throws it at his feet and Johnny goes, lose something, bro. And he's essentially like, I've hunted you across the world. You were here and I missed you. We were here, whatever. Like they're doing this whole chase thing. Um, Bodhi goes, been surfing. And he goes, every day he's chasing around the world but i guess he's on time to surf every day (laughs) and so it's the big storm it's the big storm that they're talking about earlier and they have this like violent like slap fight in the surf rolling around in this huge storm it's very fun and so he manages to cuff them together and Bodie's like dude i can't go in i can't be caged or whatever one last wave and he uncuffs him the other fbi people are all running up and he's like what did you do you let him free and he goes, you see, he's going on this huge, dangerous wave. And Keanu goes, he's not coming back. And um, so he lets it ride that final wave to his death. And they show him in the big wave. And then Keanu, he throws his FBI badge in the sand. And he walks away. This sounds awesome. Why have I not seen this movie before? It's the best, best film of all time. I had a, it was before my uh, old phone ate shit, it was my phone case. If anyone has an iPhone 6S, I have a point break phone case. I remember that. I remember thinking that was a dope phone case. Do you still have that same type of phone? Um, uh, maybe. Dude, if you have a 6S, I have a point break phone case for you. Dude, I guess I need to watch this movie before I can put it on as my phone case.
while Lee was going on the rant, I was watching the episodes for your series. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, good. So I, I'm, get, I'm getting ready to talk about um, this show called First Aaron. Uh, excuse me, remember how we established that the show is not called oh, that's First right. Aaron? That's right, it's called Old Enough, it's called Old Enough, it's called Old Enough. <laughs> Uh, sorry. Uh, sorry. I, I, we, fucking, it's in Japanese. How am I supposed tell to Tell the story. Tell the story. Let me tell you the tell exact the plot breakdown of each and every moment of this TV show. <laughs> Fuck off. No, I mean, like, why, why I called you oh, out on, Because like, I told Walter, I told Walter I was going to watch First Errand. I was like, well, Walter's going to watch First Errand. Uh, this, this is what I'm going to watch for the podcast. This is a show called First Errand. It's going to be great. And Walter's like, what the fuck is he talking about? And he's like sending me all these messages, like I can't find it. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's literally on Netflix. He gives me and the like, name three times, and the second time wasn't even first aired. It was like first flu flu flu. Yeah, so I, I, I fucked that one up pretty pretty royally. But we, we, I did eventually explain to him that I am watching Old Enough, which is a Japanese TV show where these little kids, two to four, get sent to do an errand for their mom and dad while a camera crew follows them. Which is wild to me. Because I see some two-year-olds. I see some four-year-olds in my day-to-day. They're real dumb. They're real stupid. Uh, they're real... They, they oh, that's be, early. I know, right? That's young. So the first episode actually is this little two-year-old. Basically, <laughs> he go. his mom's like, I need you to go get curry. And I need you to go get flowers from the grocery store. And the flowers are for your grandma's altar. And the curry is for eating. And this little kid is like two years old. And he's like so fucking powerful he's like so ready for this shit and he's just like toddling around just kind of like like gribbling to himself or whatever and he gets everything and he even the flowers he gets for his grandmother's grave not his her, her altar are like taller than he is and he manages to drag drag them back but the, the episode i really want to talk about is there's this episode with a four-year-old and his name is yuta so yuta's grandfather has a big mandarin orchard <laughs> this this woman sends her kid yuta to go home and make some mandarin orange juice to bring back to everyone who's harvesting this sets the tenor for the whole thing yuta wants to go hang out with his grandfather and it just cuts to the mom literally just dragging her son by yuta by his arm like up a hill because she needs him to go to where he's supposed to go it's it's hilarious because she sends so she sends him to go do this right she like starts crying she's like oh it's his first time doing this i'm so nervous i'm so proud it makes me a little sad that my son's growing up and then some of the other women in the family come and they start crying too and it, then it just cuts to this kid and he's like he does not listen at all he just like instantly begins playing I love he that. He does not care about the job that his mom is giving him. He just, like, goes home. The announcer's like, oh, look, he's getting ready to make the juice or whatever. And then it hard cuts to this kid who's just, he's holding a plastic toy dump truck, a toy uh, excavator machine, and just, like, slamming it into the ground over and over. And, and just, it's, it's great. This kid, like, fucking, like, gets there. He, like, gets ready to squeeze, make, like, the, the, the mandarin juice, and he just, like, looks around, and he just goes outside and, like, chases a dog and, like, plays with his toy. And then when he comes back, and the mom's, like, talking to the people, the producers, and it's like, it's been 45 minutes, where is he? And and, then, and they tell her, like, he's at home, he's not making the juice. And she, she calls him, and it's like, <laughs> no, shit. she's like, Yuta, you need to make the juice. And he's like, I am, I am. And he's like, not making the juice. 
and then he just he just goes on like he's got these tubby little hands and he just like takes some rice balls he can't reach the rice balls so he climbs up on the table and like takes some rice balls down and then gets scared of a ghost because he's all alone and just climbs under a table and starts eating this rice ball and then finally his mom calls back and this time she's not played around she's like yuta make the juice you need to make the juice and he's like okay 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 and you're like okay this kid's gonna make the juice it's gonna be fucking great and then he just like squeezes just like a few oranges and makes like maybe a cup of juice in like a six cup <laughs> he's bottle. small he is and then he throws a bunch of ice in it and then like you're like okay you two, you finally did it and then he like takes a break and just drinks half of the cup just drinks it and then closes it up and then like it, it cuts to him running back he's saying like oh i'm late i'm late in this little kid voice and of, of course this is all live action this is all reality tv and i'm so i'm watching this and i'm like oh man this fucking dipshit kid did a terrible job everyone is like in tears they're so proud of this boy even this like grandpa who's just like this old ass grandpa man farmer who's got skin like leather and is just like smoking a cigarette and is like Gil. Like, he's like, I'm so proud. Yeah, I'm so proud of you, son. I'm so proud of you, my grandson. I was in a gas station during college, the high school and middle school it got out. And there were some kids who were middle schoolers in a line. There's this group of boys. And there's this other boy. And they're like, Tyler, come with us to the community center. And he's like, I'm not going to come to community center. I'm going home. And they went, Tyler, why are you always going home? And he went, because I don't have any money. Um, and I think about Tyler, why are you always going home a <laughs> lot? It's the community center. It doesn't cost money. <laughs> but he wanted to go home. So what I like about this show is that there's all these kids doing this dumb stuff, but they, they frame it. The voiceover, the narrator frames it really well, right? So he's 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 dual. He's framing the whole episode as like, oh, this kid doesn't really listen to his mom and he kind of just wants to play. And he's like kind of exploring this new house by himself. And then he gets scared. And then the mom calls and it's like, even though he's getting scolded, so the, the narrator then frames it as like, oh, he's scared. And even though his mom is scolding him, now he's like no longer scared because he's like, you know, made this thing. And so it's, it goes back to like something really, you know, like pleasant. There's a another episode where a little girl is supposed to deliver a hat to a little Jizo, Jinzo. Those little is that statues. from Yu-Gi-Oh? Yeah, it's not Jinzo. Uh, what do they call it? <laughs> you did say Jizz briefly. <laughs> it's, it's a Jizzo. Let me Jizzo. Do, do you think Jinzo has hot glue come on him? Picture rule thirty four that we can find right now. Yes. Just, just. <laughs> why are you like this? Uh, no, it's these G- the the Jizzo, the Jizo statues, the guardians of uh deities of children and travelers, little like stone guys with like the little little cute faces that you just like see. The way you describe that is like garden gnomes. That's what I'm imagining. They're kind of like garden not gnomes, not remotely garden gnomes, but I'm thinking a little statue with a pleasant little face. And there's a there's a folk tale about this guy who gives these little Jizo 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 statues hats to keep the snow off them, and then he has bountiful luck. Um, and so this little girl loves that story and her mom's like, okay, I need you to go deliver this pregnancy band thing to my friend to make sure her baby is going to stay safe in the womb. And then I need you to get onions and cabbage. And then I also need you to put this little hat on the Jesus statue that you like that I made. And so she does all this. 
And then she puts the, the the Jesus statue on the hat and then she goes to get the vegetables and it takes her forever because of how small she is versus how large the cabbage is. And this little girl is like so sweet. She's super nice. She seems like it's edited. I don't know if this is true, but it's edited to seem like she's doing everything for everyone else because she cares about it. And then on the way home, it's taken her so long that it gets dark. And But the camera crew, which they don't usually interfere, they start lighting her way, but inconspicuously as to not let her know she's on the TV show. And then again, the narrator frames it like, see, you know, you helped out the, the Jizo, so now you have bountiful luck, right? So it's it's like framed in a really kind way um, that like g- gives you like really comfy vibes. The last one I want to talk about that sort of sums this up, there's a little girl. And her dad is dead and died when he was like eight months old. And so it's just the mom. But the mom always tells the daughter that like, oh, dad's a bird now and he's watching over us and this and that. It's like very sweet. This little girl, she's like maybe two and a half. Her bro- her, her mom has a brother who works at like a, um, a flounder shop that sells like fried flounder and stuff like that. And so the mom like wants her to go get the flounder. And the little girl gets scared and like starts to cry. And she's like, be brave for ma- for dad, be brave for dad. And... She like tries and then she just keeps crying and then the, the uncle comes and helps and you know in the end she, she does it and even though she's crying she's like I did it dad right sometimes you see in in movies where like or, or any piece of media where someone a child does something in order to be like in some way garner pride from a parent who is no longer around there's always a triumph and in this one it's much more realistic because the little girl actually doesn't really triumph like she kind of does it but she needs a lot of help from the uncles and she does a lot of crying like any actual real little kid would so it's 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 like on a whole nother level of comfy because it's so real right like it's it's an incredibly comfortable tv show because you don't have to watch it and be like this little girl tried so hard and trying for her dad oh it's beautiful it's like no that's just like a little kid and her dad's dead and it's like she's cute and you know she at the end when she does it yeah it's heartwarming without being saccharine which i think is really that's That's the word i was gonna use get out of my head get out of my head i was gonna say with like kids get so saccharine stop stop doing what you're doing there my son but yeah it's not saccharine like how kids usually are and then sometimes a lot of times people are like let's make it real and they turn around and make it gritty in this way where it's like that's right this sucks people die everything (laughs) and it's like kids are in the middle of that actually and I love talking to kids because people are like oh how cute and it's not that it's like when you ask like a 10 year old what his cowboy name would be he's not in the bounds of what cowboy names might be and he tells you chicken and you're like that's so much better than mine their minds aren't boxed in by our society they're just chilling and there's so there's there's, there's another episode that really illustrates this where this little kid has to climb up a hill to bring uh, like a bunch of stuff to his parents and he lives on a really steep hill. All the stuff he's bringing home is really heavy because he got the giant milk instead of the small milk like his mom told him. But he brought some apples and he keeps setting the bags down to relax and then the apples roll down the hill and he has to like run down. He's like, no, the apples. Uh, but it's never like, oh, no, the apples. It's always just like, man, this little kid sure is having a rough go at it. And it's it's really engaging because it's not <laughs> it's not tragedy and it's not it's it's just like, I don't know, it's it's comfortable. What does it what does it say about, I guess, the region that we live in? specifically that my dad trusted me at the age of 10 to um, supervise drive the rider mower before I did the kind of errand like that. I mean, I was thinking about this and I I, I think there's like not like this. I don't think this is something that happens in real life all that often unless you're- I mean, there is a stereotype that Asians can send their children out 
alone earlier than in the West. Never, I've never heard that stereotype before. Yeah, I do not have perspective on this. You know, there's there is a stranger danger anxiety in in the West, especially in the U.S. That I think in a lot of ways comes from a lot of like old school baggage and bigotry, whether it's like queer people, black people, and then the commies, right? Like that, those those like three triple whammy has made uh, the American populace so scared to let their children out of their sight. Because either your kids are going to get molested or shot by gangs or indoctrinated into something dangerous. Because we don't have public spaces or walkable spaces. We're just boxed off. You can only drive around Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in places and you're like scared of everything that exists out there. When I studied abroad for a month in college (laughs) as part of a program (laughs) in France. In France. France. In my they just they had a, they opened their gate and the kids would stream in, the kids would stream out, and they'd be really small and they just sorta they just sorta go. I think this is still a thing in small towns. Uh like I know this is where my dad grew up. This was kind of okay. This was a thing that was allowed. Um but this is a town with like two thousand people. But also, like, if you think about it, by walking distance and public transportation even if I wanted to, it's not like I could have walked to school at any point because how spread out it is because I would have had to walk 30 miles on the side of like 460. You, yeah, you have kids in, in the Grandin area who could do that. Yeah, but whatever. No one's going to let their four-year-old. Brandon. I mean, about, you don't see, I mean, case in point, uh, when when I was watching this show and like the little kids would walk by, everyone would like say hello and be like, oh, are you going on a little outing to the, to the little kids? Fucking in Roanoke, there's like this group of roving eight and nine-year-olds who like come in and steal stuff people either don't talk about them or even directly to them or they get kicked out of places but people are like do not want to interact with these kids you know and i, I think it gets back to i mean do you think it's a fair statement to, to, to make the difference come down to collectivist culture versus uh individualism explain to me why collectivist culture is like would like not do that because it sounds like you're roving kids who aren't they like collectivists right now it's sort of like that's a it's an outlier because we don't it's more like you got to win on your own. You don't have the feeling of con- it being important to connect in a community. Like it's competition. You don't trust your neighbors. The difference is no one actually wants to interact with these kids. So it's not even that they're like worried that the kids are in danger. They like don't want to be a part of them. To whereas if you like these kids on the first Aaron TV show old enough, uh, <laughs> when they're like walking, like people check in on them and are like, oh, how are you doing? Right. Like people... People both trust that this child is safe and okay, but also acknowledge this child. People don't do that around here. They like it would be creepy. Yeah, people exactly. think it's creepy. People think you're gonna molest their kids. You're a stranger. Yeah, you're a stranger. You are not a part of the collective. You're a stranger danger. Yeah. And the thing is, it was interesting. I was reading, especially in a fear, if you want to come back down to specifically in America, like the foundation of anti-blackness, like you have they maintain that fear of like there's the outside that's going to attack you but like by statistics it's gonna be people you know it's gonna be like family members that's why these eight-year-olds are actually safe in some ways and not safe in the others they're safe because because there's not like like even though these kids are out there on their own you know people aren't necessarily the people they're more in danger of are their neighbors not the random dude downtown is is what sucks which is not to say that people should let their kids wander around downtown i don't know that's your bag i 
I, I think I'd probably let my kids wander around. I think downtown's pretty safe. I'm just aggressively friendly to people. It's confusing. When that's what's weird about it, right? Is that like it's it, you know there's also the southern hospitality thing. But I I've had instances in the store where like people have like been uncomfortable. Like when little kids come to the store, I always say the same thing. I'm like, oh hey, how are you doing today, friend? You read anything good? And they're like, yeah, I like cookies. And I'm like, oh, you like cookies? We have some books about cookies upstairs in the kids section. You're just talking. Yeah, and I'm just trying to put them in a space where they can read books and like enjoy so that i can then sell books to their parents uh but people I, i've had customers kind of like a little uncomfortable and i i instantly back off because it's not worth it but i i will like interact with their kid even if it's just like a good two minutes of me being like oh yeah you know you know are you liking downtown did you eat anything my go-to is to talk about worms they're like did you i'm like do you eat anything and they're like yeah i had a burger and i'm like oh were they worms on the burger and they're like no and i'm like you should eat worms started doing this thing where uh so i'm on different dating apps and i'm not very successful on any of them because i'm i guess worthless and unattractive to all but uh my wonderful podcast listeners who i know love me but so my new marketing strategy is i'm just sending i just swipe on everyone and i just send them links to the podcast if i don't actually want to go on a date with them i'm just like here listen to my podcast listen to my podcast listen to my podcast and so maybe uh if you are listening to this podcast because i sent it to you via tinder Hinge Come get that. Grinder. What's up? You had a smorgasbord sampler of what Suede has to offer. Exactly. FetLife, OG Cupid, uh, Yelp. And if Suede isn't there, I am celibate, but if you want to turn your attentions towards that unreachable fruit, you can do that. Yeah. Rest assured. Where can, where, where can they find you, Lee? What, what server are you on for your game you play? No, don't, don't, no one needs to know where I am king of the fighting game. King, number nine on a server of thousands. Uh, I'm not on social media. You have to find me in person or send a bird. I put my email out there, but it has my last name in it. Don't worry, we'll tweet out your, we'll, we'll tweet out your address so people can come find you. I have a um, puppet head that I was working on. It's terrifying. It's this wizard head. Um, there's a lot going on. It's like spray painted silver and it's like weird this styrofoam mannequin head semi melted with a beard glued to it and these big eyes and it's like leaking green paint out of the sockets. And I positioned it on accident, but I have since left it there. Um, the first thing I actually see in the mornings is this wizard head facing me down, staring. And it's bad to see, except it's good to see <laughs> and I love it. And the head and the jaw are different parts so it goes up and down like like that and the t it has very visible teeth that are made out of seashells lee and i are actually puppet our puppet people right because like those the puppets in our podcast are actually made by me i'm a little puppet boy i make puppets too i haven't in a little bit me and lee need to get together and make some puppets i made a creepy doll in one 18 hour period it was the best day of my life and i felt like an artist for the first and last time I think if you could just write all that down, that would be a good poster. That would be a good poster. All those words you just said, there we go. That's a poster. Or the mutual friend who has the one giant 
tapestry poster, which is one of the best of all time of the one Jersey Shore. Actually, you know what? Real quick. So that that person, her name is Savannah and she has a really good podcast. Check it out. It's called Two Fat Femmes. Local Roanoke podcast. What up? Uh, so if you're if you're interested in, in hearing about like the femme experience, the fat experience, dating, love, complications, um, check it out. Shout out. Shout out. It's not talking shit about this podcast, but it is. I haven't listened to it. Almost certainly better. Because I know Sav, and I know you. <laughs> they don't talk about scat posters, so... We smell and are terrible. <laughs> so yeah, don't don't forget to, to give us five stars. We're still going to get slap me and all that good stuff. And uh, really, the best thing to do is actually just share this with people. Just share it with your friends. Make them listen to it. Hold them down. So you listen to this podcast. Parents too. And Parents siblings. too. And siblings, babies. If you're pregnant... Get one of them belly headphones people do for their babies and play them our podcast to the babies. Better than Mozart. I'll also say that it, it's been proven that swearing does not translate to babies, so you can swear as much as you want in front of a baby, and it's fine. Show them point break in utero. After you play every episode of the podcast to your pregnant stomach, you should do point break. On YouTube, you can definitely find a compilation of just the swear words, by the way. So. Lee, since you probably have heard every episode of our podcast, you wanna you wanna close her out. You know how to do the, the last bit. Yeah, I, I can do the last bit. All right, I'm Lee, and then I'll be gone like ships in the night. Walter is one of them. Suede is the other one. Uh, this has been Fake Film Fans. And remember, if you're gonna watch a movie, do it with the lights off. Mm-hmm.